if you're a golfer, you know, when you're standing on the on the tee and it's a it's a par five, your first club you're going to choose out of that bag is to get as far as far down the, the fairway as you want on the first shot. You're going to pull out the driver. Very rare. You know, I don't know anybody that would pull out a pitching wedge and say, I'm going to take six shots to go 150 yards, you know, and, and get there in five strokes and hope I make that putt. You choose you choose the tool that's right for you. So uh, just like a driver versus a pitching wedge, a 10 foot long or is going to be heavier. It's going to have a heavier swing weight. Um, and you might use that or not necessarily as a, as a technical tool, but more of as a steering tool. That was Derek Young going deep on choosing the right oar for your next river trip. A little deeper down the hole as we continue the drift boat season on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you can, take a quick stop right now, press pause, and share this episode with one other person who needs a dose of some serious boating knowledge. I want to thank you in advance if you can share the episode today. Derek Young from Sawyer Paddles and Oars is here to break down the steps of choosing your next drift boat oar and uh, and set of oars. We focused a little bit on drift boats here today, but it applies to a lot of different boats. We also find out why uh, you should go for wood versus composite, why they have a square top oar, the two-thirds rule, and the cobra. The cobra. We get into the cobra today. <laughs> so let's get into it. So without further ado, here is Derek Young from paddlesandoars.com. I'm uh, happy to introduce Derek Young from uh, SawyerPaddlesAndOars.com. How's it going, Derek? Good morning. How are you, Dave? Good, good. We're gonna we're gonna dig into some on uh, on oars, maybe a little bit on paddles, uh, but you know, just Sawyer the company is. You guys have some a great product um, that I've been using for a long time, and I'm happy to share that with others that don't know. But maybe before we get there, you can just talk about how you first got into kind of this space, the outdoors, and found yourself uh, selling uh, oars and paddles with Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I started, um, really my relationship with Sawyer, oh, 2009, 2010, uh, when I was guiding in Washington state on the Yakima river and, um, had, um, one of the first sets of square tops, which is our most popular ore these days, um, as a, as a beta tester. And the relationship with Sawyer has just grown over the years. Um, I guided for a total of 10 years in Washington and, um, did a number of demo days with Sawyer and helped out as a, in an ambassador type of a role. And uh, 2018, I decided that my guiding days were, were on their way out and worked with Zach to um, establish a, a different role here, working with Sawyer, uh, managing accounts, um, basically the northern U.S., um, Alaska, Canada, working primarily with guides and outfitters, you know, folks that I was already comfortable with and knew and had good relationships with. Um, and then I also support um, our retail partners uh, and shops across the northern U.S. Um, so my, you know, I've been a, a rafter since I was, my first overnight trip was I was 12 years old on the San Juan River um, in Utah and into New Mexico. So, um, yeah, I've been on the water for a long time. Um, I've been a Sawyer user for the last, uh, you know, 10, 10 or so years of my, you know, my on-water experience. And um, it's it makes a definite change no matter what level of, of oarsman you are, uh, whether you're just starting out or you're a professional, 
Um, Sawyer has been making professional grade oars and paddles for uh, recreational and uh, professional users since 1967. So a long, hmm. a long history. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, and I, and I know him very well. I think that's the that's the uh, the power of the. Um you know, of a good oar is that one thing you, you find yourself with an oar that isn't great, you get tired, you know, because they're kind of heavy. That's one big thing. You know, there's obviously other features. We'll, we'll dig into some of that. I, I wanted to talk about, you know, just quickly about your guiding. So, so why, you know, I, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of guides here that both some that have, that have, uh, st- are still guiding some that got out. Why did you uh, feel it was time to get out of it? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think every, successful small business person whether it's guiding or anything you know you have to start out with a a plan uh and an an important part of that plan is also an exit strategy and when i started looking around at you know um, where i wanted to guide the 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 system that i was the most familiar with um you know i did a sort of some soul searching on you know what did i want to get out of out of guiding people um from a conservation standpoint from a teaching standpoint from a a relationship standpoint, and I, I knew that I wanted to create long-term relationships with not only my watershed, but with also, also my customers and also my peers. And so um, I created a plan that got me, you know, a good start. Um, was very successful right off the bat. So I knew that I was I knew that I was following a plan that was good. Um, but I also knew that I, you know, probably wanted to do this no more than about ten years, and that's exactly where it stopped at ten years. So. That's it. I say, yeah, it seems like that 10-year mark is a, I've heard that a lot. Um, people, uh, April Vokey way back mentioned that, you know, uh, she was on and she said that was her goal. It was like 10 years. Once I hit 10 years, I'm out of the guiding. And I mean, it seems to me, I, I understand that, right? I guided a little bit too, not not 10 years, but man, I was not cut out for guiding. You know what I mean? Like, to, I, I think... I think our guides out there are pretty amazing people because it's not an easy job, right? But do you find, did you find it sometimes it was kind of a difficult job? Well, sure. I mean, any, any, anybody's job is difficult at times. And, you know, I think what's, what's at core um, with guides who are successful, whether it's at at one year or 10 years or 20 years or even longer is you you really have to have an attitude of service and, and of teaching and of giving back. And that, those were the, those were the, you know, sort of the core values that I carried forward was, um, you know, there are going to be days where you're challenged by weather, you're challenged by forgetfulness. Um, you're challenged by the fishing conditions. Um, you're challenged by the person or, or persons who are sitting in your boat with you. And, um, you know, having a positive attitude is really the best formula for moving forward with a successful guide day and a guide career. But yeah, of course there's challenges. Um, you know, there are days when the wind is blowing 50 miles an hour up river and um, you forgot to bring, uh, you know, a portion of your lunch for some reason that just kind of skipped your mind. And you've got to explain that to a customer that, you know, you're still going to get your, the experience that you're looking for today. It's just going to be a little bit of a challenge. So, um, you know, I, I think anybody that that um, has had a successful guide career, um, you know, has sort of a teaching spirit or a teaching soul. And there's something that they want to share with others, whether that be, you know, knowledge of a, of a watershed or, you know, how to cast a fly rod better or how to tie flies or reading water, any one of those aspects, you know, um, a person who takes on the responsibility of, of being a guide has an, has a, an inert, um, sort of sense of wanting to teach and share what they know with others. And that's what, that's what makes them successful. So, 
Um, I don't, I, I mean, I continue to, to teach others. I'm a, uh, a ski instructor. Oh, wow. Um, I do a, a number of other things still to support the guide community here, um, in Montana where, where I live. And, um, you know, these are connections that, um, you make with your, you make with your customers who become your friends and you make with your, your peer guides who, even if they're your competitors, they're still sort of your, um, your partners on the water. So that's cool. I know it's awesome. So, well, thanks for clarifying that. It's, it's good to have a little bit of background and the fact that you're guiding and, you know, you have that connection that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, let's talk. You mentioned the square oars. I, I want Maybe we start this off because I know those oars. I don't actually have those oars, but I, I have friends that do. And uh, maybe you could just describe those oars. Why, why square and, and what are they all about? Sure. Um, the square top oar um, actually has a, you know, a history other than just, um, you know, Sawyer um, using this innovation to help improve the rowing experience of, of people that are on the water, whether they're, whether they're in a drift boat or a raft, um, that square top, um, you know, acts as a, as a counterbalance, a, a built in counterbalance on the end of, on the end of that oar. So in essence, what you do is you get a very balanced swing weight and feel throughout the length of that oar. So it's heavier at the hand by design and that makes the rowing experience that much better. Um, just like a, just like a fly rod. I mean, I met my, I remember my first fly rod. Oh gosh, I think it was like a white river, uh, brand from Bass Pro. Um, mm-hmm. and it was heavy and it was, um, soft as a noodle yeah. and, uh, it was good to learn on. Um, but compare that to the materials that you're using today as, as anglers, it's a far different experience. So I think that's what the square top does for, um, you know, a lot of rowers is takes what is essentially, uh, you know, a utilitarian tool, uh, that the Vikings have been using mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for, for centuries into a, a performance built, uh, tool that makes rowing uh, a pleasure. Um, and what we, ca- we call that the feel of water. So it's just, a, it's a feel that you get with wood at a square top, uh, that you don't get with anything else. Cool. No, that makes sense. And and is the square top so basically? Could you not make a counterbalanced rounded end, or or what? You know, is the square? Is that just uh, you know? What, again, I, I guess going back to that. So, is there a reason that it's square? Do you have to have that for the weight? Yeah, and we do. We do make what we call a, a non-square uh, wood ore, which is very similar in construction. In fact, it's exactly the same in construction. We just um, we we turn the entire ore on the lathe, and so it's round at the handle. So you don't get that counterbalance, um, but that uh, that difference is sometimes made up in the size and the weight and the shape of the blade at the end. So you have to think oh. when you're thinking about an oar and how it's constructed. You have to think really from from grip to end of blade. And so when we're when we're sitting down at the design table and we're getting feedback from from rowers and we're getting you know asking the customer, you know, what are you really looking for? Um, we can incorporate a, a square or non-square into that into that ore, you know, based off what the oarsman is really looking for. So, yeah, that 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 additional wood, and, and it's it's not that much, you know, to handle, but that additional wood does create a, a natural counterbalance, which is just unmatched in anything else that's out there. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and what? Um... What is, well, I, I guess I wanted to dig into a little bit on just, you know, choosing an oar. If we take it to the drift boat, you know, you mm-hmm. know I know there's a lots of, you know, there's rafters, there's paddlers, there's, there's everybody. You guys cover a lot of the different niches. But right now we're doing kind of a drift boat, like a little mini series on the side. And I'm, I'm loving to focus on some where I can. But maybe we just talk about that. So, well, I guess that's the first thing. If, you're, if you have a drift boat, 
are you choosing an ore differently than say a rafter would, uh, you know, a raft would choose it or maybe describe that process a little bit. How, how, you know, how do you choose an ore? Where do you start? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. We get, we get it all of the time. Uh, you know, what, what ore is right for me? What length is right for me? Should I choose a composite product or should I choose a wood product? Um, and that's the, that's the cool part, um, about working with guides and with, and with, um, recreational users, you know, what exactly are you looking for for your experience on the water? And, and sometimes it comes down to, comes down to budget. Uh, it comes down, comes down to how many days a year are you going to be on the water? Uh, comes down to what type of water you're going to be on. Um, a lot of, a lot of factors. Um, so one of the first things I always ask is, you know, uh, okay, what kind of, what kind of raft or kind of boat do you have? Yeah, they come, okay, let's take it just for example, because I just talked to, uh, uh Boulder boat works, uh, recently and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and we chatted about, so let's just take their boat for example. So they have, well, they have a skiff too, which is interesting. We, we could dig into that too, but let's just think about their normal, they have a 16 by 54. And like you said, it's a standard size, but if it's a Boulder boat, let's just think of that as our boat. And we're choosing like, you just bought a Boulder and you need a pair of oars for it. Um, well, again, it, it, you know, the, the boat specifics, um, it does make a difference in what you choose, whether it's a wood or a composite, or it's really up to the person behind the boat. I know that Boulder, um, does, um, have as a, um, you know, as an option square tops. Um, and oftentimes that's just because the, the folks that make the boat know what feels right to them on the water in that mm-hmm. boat. And so that's what they recommend. And, and that's, yeah. that's also fairly, that's also fairly consistent. So most boat makers, you know, will, will provide you with a, with a set of oars at time of purchase. But I don't know of anybody that doesn't offer Sawyer as a, as a standard option or oh. as an, as an upgrade. Gotcha. Yeah, that's where the that's where sort of the process starts to come in. Is what's the difference between, you know, a fiberglass tube or an aluminum aluminum and plastic tube and and a Sawyer product? And we we have a fiberglass product, a, a Polecat and an MX or which are which are fiberglass. Um, but then most people get the you know see that wood or and go what now what's different about wood and they go with that because of weight, of performance, um, of look. Um, and, and price is, is the other factor. So there's, you know, the basic sales fun, you know, the basic sales points are when it comes to choosing an ore, it, it highly comes down to personal preference. And then what does that boat builder recommend that, that you use with that boat? And 99.99% of the time they're spot on because they're the ones that design yeah, that boat. They know, they know, no, I'm, and I, and when I, I think of my own personal preference, I I've used a lot of different ores and I love the, um, you know, I love the feel of wood, how it bends in the water. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I just, when you hit the stroke and you're hammering, you're in a big rapid or something. I mean, those things bend a lot. It almost looks like they're going to snap, but, um, but they never do. Um, so, you know, do you think people, some people, I guess, don't like the wood as much? I mean, they want a stiffer or like, when would you need a, why would you want a stiffer or why would you want a, a, a more of a, or that flexes? Yeah, great question. And so if you, if you, if you think about the square top, I mean, we make that ore in a couple of different configurations, but the, but the core of that, of that ore is exactly the same. It's laminated Douglas fir. Um, and then it's either designed to have a flex to it, like a, like a mid flex or a medium action fly rod, or it's designed to be stiff, um, like a, a fast action or a tip flex fly mm-hmm. rod. And we call that, we call that a, a dynolite. So basically it's a, a Douglas fir core, uh, wrapped in carbon fiber, which gives it longitudinal stiffness. Um, 
it adds a, a slight amount of weight, but it makes for a stiff ore. So if you're, you know, um, if you're on a relatively flat um, piece of water and you're guiding and you you consistently get, you know, two people in your boat and your boat weighs 500 pounds and you, and you add yourself, your cooler, your gear bag, your two clients for the day and you're pushing a thousand pounds, um, you're going to want an oar that from a performance standpoint, when you ask it to do something with a stroke, it's going to do it. It's got that power on reserve. It's got that strength to do it. Um, if it, if you're a solo, uh, boatsman and you've got a smaller nimbler craft and you want to be able to, um, you know, use that, that oar and that boat together on the water, um, for a different drawing experience, go with a little bit of a softer oar. It's a little bit easier on your joints, on your shoulders, mm -hmm. on your elbows, and it's um, a little bit more of a pleasure to row. But a stiffer oar, you know, a big boat, a big heavy boat, or if you row really, really technical whitewater and you want to make sure that every stroke does exactly what you want it to do, um, then then go with that stiffer oar. Yeah, that being said, I've used a set of square tops on the Missouri, um, the Colorado, the Deschutes, the Yakima, the Snake, uh, eight days on the middle fork of the salmon for a hundred miles, um, on the Selway river, which is class four sustained. So it's a very strong and durable product and they do break sometimes. It's, it rarely happens, but, yeah. um, they, they do break. Yeah. <laughs> it has happened. That's awesome. No, and that clarify, I think, I think what we realize here is that I think we need, uh, you probably, you might need two sets of oars, right? If you want to, if you do a lot of different types of boating, right. Versus the, you know, the, the really heavy trips, which I do. Sometimes I do some of those trips where, yeah, you're on mm -hmm. the river for five days or, you know, maybe weeks and uh, you got a lot yes. of weight. So, okay. Well, it, it is, and it's not unusual these days to talk to someone who rows a boat to hear that they've got both a raft and a, and a drift boat. Yeah. Um, people that, you know, um, I row a, um, I row a boat that's, that's an inflatable, but it rows like a drift boat. It's designed to row differently than a raft does. And, and that's also another important consideration is, you know, performance of the boat itself. That, that is key to understanding the type of ore that works best for you. When I started rafting, um, you know, in the, in the mid eighties, um, you know, bucket boats were what we had. We had Hypalon and we had, uh, you know, the, the floor held water. And there wasn't structural rigidity. Um, the boats would fold. Um, and that was a different rowing experience than today's boats that are designed to be more um, responsive to what the water is doing. And so you, you will see people with just like, just like anglers that have a quiver of mm -hmm. fly rods. It is not unusual to have customers that have a drift boat, a raft, a small personal watercraft, a stand-up paddleboard, a canoe, yep. a kayak. I have all of those things and I, and I have a Sawyer, I have a Sawyer product that I use for each one of those based off of what I'm doing that day or that trip. So yeah, yeah it, it is, it is a very specialized thing. That's it. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's just like, um, it's almost like the electronic, uh, this is the exact opposite, but the electronic devices, right? It's like you get, you got your phone, you got your laptop, you might have an iPad. I mean, you've got all these things and you probably maybe don't need all of them, but it's like, we got them and, and we kind of love it because we have them. And same with boats. I mean, um, yeah. you know, I love having a new boat for sure. Um, I want to touch just back on that. So, and, and, and I guess first you mentioned the raft. What was that raft that you have that feels like a drift boat? Uh, I row a stream tech made by, uh, Link Jackson in out of Boise, Idaho. Oh, wow. Stream tech. Okay. Yep. Sweet. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds like a cool, mm -hmm. cool boat. So, so again, back to, so the tip flex dynalite, and that makes a lot of sense. So 
that's your stiff. That's your uh, that's like your tip flex fr- fly rod, your fast action. And is it is this the same one where uh, it's basically a wood shaft, and then the end of it is a full composite dynolite tip? Yep. So on the on the on a on a square top on a dynolite square top, it's a solid laminated Doug, Douglas fir wood or with a carbon fiber braid shaft, and then that blade is reinforced with carbon fiber. And then what we call pro tip, um, which is sort of that horseshoe shaped material that goes along the outside yeah. of the of the tip of the blade. And, and that is a material that increases durability, yep. um, you know, keeps that over, you know, working for you as long as it should. And we offer that 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 pro tip um, in a couple of different versions. It comes standard in that that sort of horseshoe shape on a on a standard profile blade. Uh, on the shoal cut, it's it covers the underside, you know, where the blade is going to make contact with the riverbed more often than not. Um, but this year, we're actually introducing, you know, that blade um, for composite oars um, in what we call a, a pro version, which is pro tip all the way around um, the blade um, on a Douglas fir core. And that complements what we call our, our, our XD, which is a heavier weight blade. You see a lot of big whitewater rafter, um, you know, outfitters using that because it's an ash blade with a, a full pro tip surround. So, um, okay. you know, looking at all the different scenarios that you could that you could you know buy an oar and a blade for, we've got it covered. <laughs> yeah, you do have it covered. That's awesome. And then, and then again on that blade, so that blade actually has wood in the blade. Mm-hmm, that is correct. Yeah, yeah it yep. has wood. Okay, wow. Yeah, I think sometimes you look at it and you're like, wow, it looks like that's just all synthetic blade, but it, it's so it's dug for and why. Uh, why dug for over, say, um, hemlock or any other type of wood? Um, so I'm I'm not a um, a pro on the on the lumber side of things. Although I am having I, <laughs> I am building a house and <laughs> I did harvest I did harvest some Douglas fir that I'm going to ship down to Oregon from Montana. Oh wow! And have a set of oars have a set of oars made out of wood that's on my property. That's awesome. Um, but dug fir um, has been the material over time that provides a good strength to weight ratio, but it also provides a little bit of flex to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it allows us the ability to shape it and, and perform the way we want it to perform. Now we, we make ores out of ash, Northern white ash as well. Um, but those are the two woods, wood products that we use for ores is Northern white ash and Douglas fir. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. Okay. And, um, so, well, we have a, a little bit of a picture of this. I, I did want to hit because, you know, if people are coming here to think like, you know, buying a set of oars, obviously they can go to you guys, they can call you, they can call their boat company. But what if somebody just picks up an oar uh, or picks up a boat? Let, let's just say it's a coffler. Let's say it's a, uh, you know, a coffler has aluminum boat. Um, and um, let's say it's a 17 foot by 54 coffler and we're looking for an oar you know, that, that, to fit that bill. Uh, and they were just like, okay, they want to like do their research and figure it out. What would be the, just, just walks through again, you mentioned some of the steps, but what are the steps to choosing an oar? Well, um, length is determined by a formula. It can be pretty complex, but it, we simplify it by uh, using a, a two thirds rule that basically you want two thirds of the overall length of the oar outside of your oar locks and a third in and where you position your hands when you're rowing, um, there are, there are some consistent guidelines with that, but some people have a rowing style that, that keeps their hands fairly close to each other. Some people like to row with their hands a little bit further out. Yeah. But when a, when a boat builder designs a boat, they're looking at that, 
you know, that span between the orlocks. And that's the measurement that we really key on, on is what is that distance? And the formula that is commonly used is that two thirds of the overall length of the ore is outside of that orlock. So, but then you have to start asking questions like, okay, how, how tall is that seat in the boat? Are they sitting on a dry box? Or are they sitting on a, on a seat yeah. uh, or a cooler? Um, how tall is the person that's going to be rowing this boat? Um, what are the, you know, what are the dimensions of the boat on all sides? Not just length, but width, but height at the, at the oar tower. And, and how, how tall is the oar tower? So right now we can, we can basically customize a, you know, a, a, a boat, a boat's performance based off of a, a personal, a person's characteristics, their physical size, hmm. um, as well as what the boat looks like. So for example, I had, um, was working with a, um, a guide here in Montana, um, that was part of, a uh, a wounded warriors project. And, um, he was actually a participant that was so, uh, enthralled with what they were doing for our wounded veteran. That he decided to actually start guiding and, and work with them personally. Um, he was gifted a boat from, um, a local TU chapter and some other organizations. Um, and it was this really, really, it was a really, really big boat. Hmm. And he was a, he was not a very tall guy. And the set of oars that came with the boat, he couldn't get the blades in the water when he was sitting in the boat. (laughs) So we had to, we had to, you know, take some measurements and and do some things and get him a, a set of oars that worked for him, um, with what that boat was and, and physical size. So getting back to every boat builder is going to, you know, they're going to have different dimensions on the inside. Every frame builder is going to do the same thing and choosing the length of the oar, um, you know, the most standard size of ore is, is nine foot, but that's just a, you know, that's like saying every car is a four door. Yeah. Some people don't want a four door. Some people want a two door. Some people want a van. So, yep. um, the most common size is a nine footer, but as you go up in length of boat and also width of boat and that person's individual characteristics, you have to consider other sizes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So nine foot's a standard. That's a common, but for drift boats, do people sometimes get like nine and a half or 10 footers? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. Okay. So, so for yeah, that cobbler example, that 17, if you had, yeah, depending on your person, if you're a, if you're a shorter person, you might want a longer or, or if you're or vice versa. So it just depends really. Um, and probably the best advice there is to, is to talk to somebody who knows. Um, but let's just keep going. So, so that's length. What, what are other things about choosing or if you're, if you're just kind of trying to do your research on, online, um, what else do we need yeah. to think about? Well, you know, where are you going to be primarily rowing um, and, and how often? So when I'm working with guides that work 200 days a year, they want something that's light, that's strong, that's durable, that they don't have to think about. It's just going to do what they want it to do consistently. Um, and so that might be a square top or it might be a smoker bandit. Um, if it's someone who is going to be rowing occasionally and they're typically taking out friends and family and they're not doing very, very, um, you know, they're doing fairly calm water, maybe class ones or flat water. Weight may necessarily, might not necessarily be the main deciding factor. It, it might be cost or it might be appearance or it might be that on a compo- with a composite ore shaft, you can change out the blade. Whereas on our square tops and, our, and most of our wood products, um, you, are, you, are, you are limited to that blade that's on that ore. Mm-hmm. So again, another one of those factors, if someone wants to, um, you know, have a, an ore shaft that, um, they can change the blade out on, then a composite is the best thing for them. Oh, wow. That's cool. 
Okay, so you mm-hmm. can actually change out the on that uh, that tip flex uh, thing, you know, uh, analogy we were talking about. You can change the blade out just like you could on one of your full synthetic ores. Yes, and the way we do that on a, a square top ore is we change the blade itself, yeah. not necessarily anything about the blade. So if you look at the square top ore um, in the VLAM configuration, that is a square top that's built exactly the same as a Dynolite or a Dino X, um, but we incorporate a laminated Western Red Cedar into the blade. So now you've got a, a progressive flex from that wood shaft that's reinforced with fiberglass and carbon and carbon X weave. But now you've got a blade at the end that's going to give you a little bit more of a, a push or a pull when you apply power to it. Mm, man, there's so many. This is so amazing because there's so much, <laughs> you know what I mean? But the, I yeah. think the take-home message, though, is, and for me, if you're an average person, right, I'd be like, I, I'm six feet tall. I'm, you know, 170 pounds. I'm kind of average. You could probably go with a lot, and I have used a lot. I, I had a pair of your um, your smokers, right, and I loved them. They were all wood. Mm-hmm. They were like old school. I think those were the ones that that I had that flexed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I've used also those, some of my buddies, like I said, the square tops. Those things are, are amazing. Uh, but yep. so, yeah, there's a lot of different choices. Uh, maybe just quickly talk about that smoker so so is the smoker just the full wood i mean talk about the difference between the smoker and the dyna the dynalite so the the smoker line of ores um that is a um that is a product that um we took on as a brand i believe it was in the 80s um and that's that's a that's a, a an ash ore is is probably one of the most traditional you know ore materials um in our modern times um it's a, it's a commercial grade wood. Um, it, it can take a lot of abuse. Um, we make them out of a single piece. So it's, it's a single piece of wood that we carve an ore out of. So whereas a square top is laminated Douglas fir, a smoker, um, is a, is a solid piece of ash that we, that we carve that ore out of. So it's going to be heavier. Um, it's going to flex differently. But the smoker brand is is known for that that wood or northern white ash. Now, a couple of years ago, we launched what's called the Smoker Bandit. It's just keeps that legacy of a of the highest quality, um, durable, professional grade ore. But now it's a it's a modern material. It's a carbon twill and fiberglass that is half the weight of a square top. Um, doesn't require a counterbalance and you can change out the blade based off of your, your rowing profile or your style. Wow. Wow. So you, so now I'm really, I'm not, I'm not confused, but I mean, now you're bringing in this, uh, this whole other thing. Cause I always, yeah, I, I kind of put smokers there as this all wood, but now you're, you're mixing. So why, why would you want the smoker, like the, the chain, the, you know, what you're talking about there, because it sounds like it's a little bit like the, uh, D- the Dynalite series. Um, or is it different? in appearance? It's it, yeah. In appearance, it looks the same, but in all other ways, it's it's completely different. So, so it's it's sometimes easier to think about this in, in just a couple of ways. We make composite ore shafts out of fiberglass and and carbon fiber, and then we make wood ores out of northern white ash or or Douglas fir. So those are your two categories. It's either going to be a composite or it's going to be a a wood. Um, 
so that's how you that's how you kind of keep that simple. Do okay. I want a composite or shaft and the ability to change out the blade, counterbalance the handle, put a different type of grip on it, um, get a custom color or pattern on it, um, or do I want a uh, a wood ore that is a solid one piece, um, you know, tool that's going to have different characteristics on the performance side than a than a composite product would. A, a tube, we ha- a tube is a tube when it comes to an ore shaft. I mean, everybody, anybody can make a, a fiberglass tube with some holes in it and put a blade into yeah. it. But it's what we do to it differently that creates that separation between just being a, a utilitarian object and a performance tool um, that is that incorporates um, higher grade materials, a little bit more thought into the design. Um, and, and, you know, everybody that works at Sawyer um, and the design side and most of the folks in the factory, which is a fairly small team, um, you know, have, have on-water experience. And so we know what we're looking for when we, when we build these things. And we have uh, a tremendous team of ambassadors on the whitewater side, the, the kayaking side, the angling side, that we get feedback from all of the time on, hey, how is this working for you as a tool? And we incorporate that feedback into what, into what we're building. So, um that's the smoker. The smoker brand is is a brand that that we carry as a legacy brand. We just brought that brand into the few into you know today's age with today's modern materials, and it it creates an entirely different rowing experience um, with the smoker band. It, it's a very popular ore with um, small boat makers from like Flycraft and Stealthcraft to the big the big boys like Adipose. Um, mm-hmm. So. Everybody is incorporating this bandit now into their offering because it is an amazing tool. That's it. Okay, so so the bandit that's something to keep an eye out on the. And so again, let's mm-hmm. just go again. You know, bringing it back. So if I'm choosing a set of oars for a drift boat, um, you know, let's say like we were saying the 17 by 54. Um, so I need a you know probably like you said a nine would be fine, but maybe a, a, a nine and a half or ten. Um, I mean, maybe let's just talk about that briefly. So if you look at myself, I'm mm-hmm. six foot tall. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. a normal size, I guess, average, more average size. What, um, mm-hmm. you know, is the nine foot going to be fine or do I need more like a nine and a half or 10 for that boat? Yeah, you know, w- when I was rowing hard boats at the 16 foot level, um, depending on the profile of the side of the boat, the gunwales, if it was a low profile boat, I could get away with a shorter oar. Um, if it was a higher profile boat on the side, I had to use a little bit of a longer oar because now we're talking about angles and mass, right? I mean, you have to, you know, where, where you're sitting, where's the water line, how tall is that gunwale? Um, so just off the top of my head on a 17 foot, um, boat, that's that, that that's wide. Yeah. You're probably looking at a nine, six or a 10 footer, depending on again, what type Style. of water you're going to be on and what type of, you know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a gear boat on the Deschutes and you're in the, and you're in that big boat. Um, and you can't fish from the boat. You can only fish from the um, while you're waiting. So you're hauling everybody's camping gear down to the next campsite. You you might want a little bit of a longer oar than a shorter oar. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so mm-hmm. so I think and basically, and, a, and a stiffer oar and yeah. a stiffer oar. Yeah. So if I if I was and I do occasionally have a nice five day trip. I'm not a guide, you know, or anything like that. So I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about that. But yeah, I do have a lot of weight. And sometimes we we we're packing, uh, you know, we're packing deer out too. So sometimes we do have a mm-hmm. a super heavy load. So maybe the maybe the ten foot would be a helpful uh, thing. So the the disadvantage of say a ten foot versus a a nine and a half is what just more weight, right? Or more, or is there any disadvantage of a 10 footer? 
Um, well, weight is going to be is going to be one. You're going to add some weight the more material you add onto it, and then it's a longer it's a longer level uh, lever. So, um, you know, what's an apt um, metaphor for it? So, thinking about like if you're a golfer, you know, when you're standing on the on the tee and it's a it's a par five, your first club you're going to choose out of that bag is to get as far as far down the the fairway as you want on the first shot. You're going to pull out the driver very rare you know i don't know anybody that would pull out a pitching wedge yeah. and say i'm going to take six shots to go 150 <laughs> yards you know and, and get there in five strokes and hope i make that putt yeah you choose you choose the tool that's right for you so uh just like a driver versus a pitching wedge a, a 10 foot long or is going to be heavier it's going to have a heavier swing weight um and you might use that or not necessarily as a as a technical tool but more of as a steering tool yeah. If that makes sense. It does. That does. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So if you mm-hmm. were into some techie or some super, uh, you know, maybe if you're doing the rogue, you, rogue river, you might want a nine and a half or a shorter or because sometimes you're pulling the blades in because it's tight and you got to be yeah. more maneuverable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it really does come down to, you know, where you, what type of boat do you have? Where are you going to primarily be using it at? And then what is the best oar that fits your rowing style and your size um, and how you're going to incorporate it all together. So in an ideal world, yeah, everyone would have three sets of oars. We'd love to see that happen. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's what, I mean, that's me. That, that's like, I can see that if I was guiding all the time and I had all the stuff, I would have, you know, I'd probably have at least three sets of oars in there to, to customize. But it seems like the Dynalite, you know, going back to that, this this Dynalite is people love it so much. And then the counterbalance thing is the other part is that, you know, if you had that 10 foot oar, you could have a counterbalance door, right? Which would make it a lot easier. Uh, a, a 10 foot square top does have a counterbalance to it. Yeah, absolutely. There's more wood there to provide that balance between the the handle, the tapered shaft all the way down to the blade uh, and still make a, an oar that, that, that sits on top of the water and floats. Absolutely. Now, if you're going with a composite oar, um, yeah, you've got a blade you can change out on the end, and you've got a handle you can change out on the on the grip side. So you can go with a counterbalanced handle. Um, you can go with a, an ash handle like that like come standard, or there's other options out there too. So there's, um, you know, the, the the best way to really do this is to you know use our use our website as a resource. Um, mm-hmm. We have all the details and all of the products are there. Oh, cool. And then and then use the use our shop local function. We have a great network of dealers and boat builders across the country that all you have to do is click that shop local button on the top banner of our website, type in your zip code, and it's going to tell you who's closest to you. And those are the folks to talk to about their boats, our oars, where you're going to row it and, and what's best for you. So we, we, we highly support um, our network of authorized dealers across the country. And, and we love working with those guys. That's awesome. Okay. So that, that that's a good uh, reminder is that, yeah, you have a ton of resources there and, that's the best thing. Just like, yeah, going into your local fly shop, if you want to learn about your river, you know, the best thing to do is go to your local fly shop and, and you talk to them first and, and you guys are the the same thing. You, you know, you're kind of yeah. obviously a leader in the or, uh, the or space. So, okay. That, that's a good, uh, a good tip. Um, so I want to just be, you know, we're, we're going to probably be wrapping this up here in a, shortly, but, um, you know, I didn't want to miss a little, a little on the history right? Because Sawyer, you mm-hmm. said 1967, which goes way back before probably a lot mm-hmm. of the people, uh, probably most of the people that listen to this podcast, you know, we're, we're not alive in, in 1967. Yeah. 
<laughs> and also 1967, what a time, right? Like think of the time of this country in 1967. But you got this company that's found. Do you know a little bit of that history? Can you just talk about, bring us back to how, how it started? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm originally uh, a Michigander. I was born in Michigan, and that's where Sawyer got its start. Um, Ralph Sawyer um, started this company um, after a legendary uh, canoe career, racing career. Uh, he was a 10-time um, Ossible River Canoe Marathon champion, uh, inducted into the Canoe Racing Hall of Fame. Um, he began, after his career of doing that, he started building paddles and oars in 1967, he established Sawyer um, on the Rogue River in Oregon and uh, got enamored with whitewater rafting and then started producing whitewater oars. So we have a actually a long relationship with Willie Boats um, out of the uh, out of the southern Oregon area. Um, Ralph and, and Willie um, have a long relationship, and that's actually you know how Sawyer kind of got its start. So um, we began you know building and selling oars um, out of southern oregon and you know within a very short period of time um oarsmen from all around the country got to see the quality and the purpose built products that we were putting out um and then we started incorporating fiberglass later in you know later um mm-hmm. a few years down the road um and then um oh gosh about 20 years after that um, Bruce Bergstrom came into ownership of the company in 1987, and um, that's where the square top sort of got its um, the innovation of the square top sort of got its its roots, as well as um, the Cobra Orlock. So those two things right there really are what put Sawyer, um, you know, in in most people's boats. Um, and then we were, we acquired um, Smoker in 1992, so a little bit later than I mentioned earlier, but 1992 we acquired Smoker. Um, so now that fit, kind of filled out our line completely. Um, and today, um, Sawyer is owned by a, uh, a group of three employees. We employ, we employ between 14 and 17 people seasonally um, in our factory and our retail store in Southern Oregon. And then I also work with uh, Aaron Stone, who is my um, cohort in sales and in the Southern part of the U.S. So Right now, our CEO is Zach Kaufman, and then we've got a couple of other owners. It's a small ownership group um, with about 14 to 17 employees year-round. And um, most people think that we have a staff of thousands that you know put out these oars mm-hmm. um, year-round. And, and we work year-round. Um, and you know, a square-top oar from raw material, um, you know, delivered um, from one of our vendors to actually get on, you know, box up and put on a ship. Um, you know, to ship out, um, takes about 14 to 15 days to build a single square top war. Wow. That's, so that's a 14, 16 days to, to build the, the square top. Maybe if we have a little bit of time, I might want to dig into a little bit of that. That might be, you know, the whole construction might have to wait until, you know, another episode, but the, <laughs> the, the history. So, yeah. So you obviously are a small, uh, fairly small company. Um, producing ores. And I mean, I think to me, it feels like you guys are the leader in the space. I mean, I know there's other, there's other companies out there doing it. It seems like more composite than, than wood. Um, but bring us back to, so 1967 at that time, I'm trying to think I had Roger Fletcher, who's like a drift boat historian talked about the whole history of how, you know, 1920s, the drift boat, uh, current, uh, you know, concept came to be, but, I mean, ores back between then, like what were they using pre Sawyer in 1967? Was it, do you have any idea what companies were there? Oh gosh. I mean, Northern white ash has sort of been a, um, a material that's been used for the longest time because of its ability to shape, 
um, you know, one piece, uh, carve a, you know, carve an ore out of, out of a single piece of wood and it, and it was durable and it was, um, you know, available. Um, it is a wood that is becoming a little bit more harder to get. Um, so that's where Douglas fir came in. Douglas fir really changed the way that, that, um, that wood ores are made, especially with the ability to, to sandwich or laminate them together and, and create more of that performance, um, aspect of, of things. I mean, just like fly rod technology, just like all kinds of, you know, every hmm. technology, uh, as you incorporate different materials into it, um, you improve lots of aspects of the experience and, and Doug first certainly did that, did that for us. But yeah, back then it was, um, it was Northern white ash uh, and, and people do make, um, ores out of other woods. Um, they're heavier, they're different colors. Um, they're, okay. have a different flex or weight to them, but you know, overall uh, white ash and Doug fir are, are pretty much, you know, the standard today. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I can see myself again, going back to my own experience. I mean, I feel like even though I don't have a bamboo rod, my dad has a few, I feel like eventually I'm going to be going back to that space in the fly because it seems like, you know, the more you get into it, the more you kind of want to bring it back to the natural, you know, I don't know, at least that's me. And, um, and then the ores, the same thing. I've always loved the wood. So it feels like if I was going to buy a pair of ores right now, it'd probably be more of that smoker, you know, maybe, maybe the smoker bandit, but it's just something that gives me more of that wood feeling because, you know, if I'm on the river, um, again, I love the bend. And if you did have, if you were in some crazy whitewater with a really heavy boat, say a couple of deer on the end and you had, uh, you know, and you had the smokers, those are still going to perform well, right? They're just going to bend. They maybe you might have to do two strokes compared to one sort of thing. Um, again, going back to the different, so we composite and then wood and then smoker is the brand that are, our solid ash, you know, that's the, that's the brand we brought on in the 92 that, 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 that is a, a solid ash or, the smoker bandit is a new or we're using that name, but bringing its legacy into, into today's world with different materials. So composite and wood smoker within that category is a wood product, but we also have a composite product underneath the smoker, underneath the smoker brand. If you're a, you, you know, if you're running a, a big commercial rig on the grand Canyon or hell's, um, yep. Snake. You know, yeah. The snake, uh, through hell's Canyon. Um, middle fork of the salmon we get a lot of outfitters that, that run wood ores the the solid ash ore because it is extremely durable um it's got a good uh, power face for a controlled stroke um and it's got a nice feel to it but it's a different ore than a smoker bandit which is a, a composite ore gotcha okay thanks for clarifying mm-hmm. that okay good yeah absolutely but we do have we do have um you know hardcore whitewater guys as well as thousands of fishing guides across the country that are using the smoker bandit, um, as their daily tool for whatever they're doing. It, it doesn't flex like a wood or does. It's got a little bit of a stiffer feel to it. So I guess in a sense, you could say that, a that a smoker bandit does feel a little bit from a flex standpoint, like a, like a dynolite square top wood, a, a little bit of a stiffer ore, but it's half the weight. So it's a completely different rowing experience. Oh, amazing. Okay, cool. And, and yeah, like like most of these shows, there's no way we can dig into all the facets. Even ores, you know, some people might hear ores and be like, "Oh, it's pretty simple," but obviously, mm-hmm. when you're, you know, you guys where you're at, you've you've customized and niched down into all these little. And we haven't even talked about, you know, all the the paddles and I mean everything else. I mean, I guess quickly, maybe just talk about that. So we've got, you know, drift boat ores. We got raft ores. They're kind of you know a similar a product for a similar deal. What other ores or paddles? you know, or niches are you guys covering with your stuff? 
so we make stand up paddles um, for paddleboards, stand up paddleboards out of um, out of wood and out of composite materials, so carbon fiber. Um, we make canoe paddles that incorporate wood with carbon fiber and pro tip. Uh, we make whitewater um, paddles as well as rafting, you know, standard rafting paddles. And then we also make kayak paddles. So if it floats, um, we make something for it. That's it. Yeah, that pretty much covers it all. I guess what, what else? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's all the the standard uh, boats you would you would be thinking of, um, mm-hmm. any, any... including including pack rafts. I mean, oh, yeah. pack rafts are are a new trend. We do have a a paddle called the Summit uh, Summit Pack Five Piece, which is uh, a paddle that that basically fits into a small backpack. And you can fold up your pack raft and hike up into the, you know, into the mountain ranges and, and have to float on and, and row with the soy products. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the cool thing, especially I know I've known a few kayakers over the years. The uh, the carbon fiber, right, is, is the amazing thing because it's so light, um, especially for packing. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that is that one of the big thing, the nice thing about the, the paddles? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, I mean, anything else? Just again, going back to the oars for if we're saying for any other things you want to note here that we missed. Just if somebody's choosing or I know you, you, there's a lot of resources they can go to your website. But um, you know, just generally speaking, somebody listening here, anything else they want to be thinking about? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of factors to consider. But again, um, you know, rowing a boat um, are, are the most you know some of the most enjoyable days I've ever had, and being on the water. If, if being on the water is where you you feel at home and you love being there, whether it's for your job or you like being out with your family or your friends, um, choosing an oar or a paddle for what you do and how you enjoy it is it's an important decision. Um, and, you know, there's lots of factors to consider. You know, cost is a big one. Um, we are 100 percent made in the United States in southern Oregon. Um, we can make custom oars sizes and um we are we are a, a small company with a legacy of, of doing things here in the United States, and we're proud of that. Um, and there, there's lots of things to consider, but you know we are we are the choice of professionals, and we have been for a long time. And so when you buy a Sawyer product, you're going to get a professional grade product that that an everyday user is going to be able to enjoy just as much. That's right. That's right. And who else? I mean, uh, as far as the wood oars, are, are there other companies making a wood oar for say a drift boat out there? Mm, you know, not that I'm aware of. I know that there are um, some some folks that are making their own square top oars um, out of out of materials they choose to make them out of. I, I know some custom woodworkers here in the Northwest Montana area where I live that do that. Um, but no, we're we're the we're the ones. You're, you're the ones. Yeah, that's crazy. And then and then yeah, as you go into the other niches, say like the rafting, you get. Um, I mean, there definitely are some other um, compo- or not even composite, just full fiberglass or or companies out there um i think of one mm-hmm. one or that i've used in the past i think is a cataract right that they make a full mm-hmm. um i'm not even sure what they what they make exactly but i'll have to <laughs> you'll leave that for uh we're gonna be digging in on some more uh, guests i'm sure some of these other things will come up but um but yeah that's cool to realize you guys are pretty much the only as far as the wood game you're obviously leading um leading the way uh, and then the orlocks i just want before we get out of here i want to touch on the orlocks so uh, you mentioned the mm-hmm. cobra. So the cobra is just what it is. Mm-hmm. It's an orlock that looks like a couple of cobras looking at each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's why it's called that. Um, but it is. Uh, it's a. It, it's a composite um, alloy that's used for, you know, the the type of alloy that's used in um, marine propellers um, and rudders. So it's it's very strong material, very corrosion resistant, um, extremely durable. Um, and they're tunable. So this is something that's that's unique to this is that it's it's a metal 
that's soft enough that you can tune it to your to your specs. Um, and we have an Orlock tuning guide video um, on our website at paddlesandoars.com under the accessories tab. Um, we also have a, a, a great um, catalog of do-it-yourself um, and tips and tricks for our products on our YouTube channel at, at Sawyer Paddles and Oars. Uh, but the, the Cobra is um, kind of the you know the gear, the guide's choice when it comes to orlocks. Um, it's it's really intended as a whitewater orlock, um, but fishing guides love this orlock as well. Okay, perfect. And and just before we get out of here, do you have a couple of uh, rowing? I know you've been on the sticks. Any any tips uh, that come to mind as far as rowing? So if you're in a boat, like uh, if somebody, you know, I mean, I've rowed quite a bit, but anything anything come to mind there? Yeah, um, you know, I think that what you're looking for when you get confident on the water, of course, safety is always the first consideration. Um, so whenever you get on the water, you know, make sure that you're getting on um, a boat that's safe. Um, make sure you've got your life jackets. Make sure you've got your throw bags. Uh, make sure everyone that gets on your boat, if they're required to, is wearing a life jacket. And even if they're not required to, it's a good idea to always have one on on it. Um, but, you know, always think about safety when you're getting on the water. Um, yep. And you know, just like any, just like any activity where you are, um, you know, moving at, at a pace where there's hazards, you know, always look downstream, keep your head up, look for the hazards that are coming, yep. uh, learn the oar strokes that are going to get you out of trouble as well as, um, you know, get you into position where you want to be. Um, it's not all back rowing. There's also mm-hmm. forward rowing and, and side rowing and sculling and, and crab mm-hmm. strokes. Um, if yeah. you are new to uh, buying a drift boat and buying oars, and but you've been maybe maybe you've been on a couple of guide trips, or you've got a buddy that owns a boat, and you and you really decided you want to get one, um, make an investment in a safe day on the water, and and hire a guide or go to your local shop that sells paddles and oars and boats, and ask if they know somebody that can give you some training on the water. Um, you know that is of utmost importance. We want everyone to get on the water and have a great time, but come home at the end of the day. And really what happens when, when people get into trouble is they just stop thinking about how dangerous moving water can be um, and, and they get lax in terms of that safety aspect. So uh, my, my biggest piece of advice is know the water you're going, you know, safety first, second and third. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. And then have a, have a safety plan. You know, have, make sure everyone who gets on your boat knows what to do in the case of an emergency, of a case of a broken oar or a lost oar or getting jammed into a log jam or against a rock. Um, you know, the, the, the big thing about water sports is that we're, we're on water. It's fun. Um, but it, it's, it's dangerous and you got to be careful. I love it. Yeah. I love Derek yep. that you, 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 you hit on the safety there because that just brought up another thing. I think an episode just on boater safety would be really, uh, useful for people because I've been in situations for sure. Like probably a lot, many people that have been on the water for a while, have you know i've been upside down in the river i've been very close to dumping a drift boat before um you know Mm -hmm. those situations and what you realize about the water is when you get if you haven't been there you know for all those people listening down that haven't been there i mean it happens quick and it's way more powerful than you realize when you're just on top of the water you know and that's that's the take home yeah so you got to be quick. Yeah. So the decisions, it's like plan, you, know, you get plan A as you're coming in, but you got to be ready for plan B or C because it, it can come to that pretty quick, right? Absolutely. And, you know, if, if anything, um, you know, on top of that safety piece is that when you're choosing an oar, make sure that you're choosing oar that you're going to have confidence in. Um, if it's too heavy, you're going to get tired and, that, and that's a safety issue. Um, if yep. it's the wrong length, um, you're not going to be able to get the boat to do what you want it to do. And that's a safety issue. Um, so, 
you're going to find across the board that Sawyer products are an investment, um, but it is an investment that has a purpose and it's going to keep you safer on the water. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. All right, Derek, well, I'll let you get out here in the next um, six months or so. Anything uh, you want to give a shout to anything new with Sawyer or anything you have going? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, we've we've just wrapped up our, our preseason ordering process with um, our boat builders, our retail partners, um, and uh, with our outfitters. And, you know, we've made just a couple of small additions to our product line for 2021. Um, the Dynalite or Blade um, now comes in a stubby version, which is a shorter version. So I think down the road, what you're going to see from Sawyer is just it's consistent quality, consistent performance, you know, an eye on, on performance, um, and on, on high grade materials, um, you know, having them in, um, your local retailers shop is, you know, is a key part of, of our strategy and our plan. Um, but we're going to keep, um, you know, um, innovating when it comes to, to design and to material, um, and to strengthening our relationship um, with our our partners and our vendors in the field, we're a, we're a small company. We're growing, but we have a product that everybody wants, and um, we're we're able to fulfill um, you know orders right now. Uh, we had some fires in Oregon this summer that I'm not sure you're aware of, but um, we were very luckily spared. Um, so we continue to focus on on getting the the best um, paddles and oars that you can get on the water and at your local retailer and, and innovation. So we've, other than, other than just some blade changes, um, we do have some things coming down the pipeline that I can't mention just yet, but, um, it's going to be, it's going to be stuff that continues to add value and modality, um, and, um, flexibility to, uh, to the rowers quiver. So lots of good stuff to come. That's cool. Do you guys find yourself, um, you know, when you're designing and developing stuff that you kind of have to kind of like the fly rod analogy again, right? There, there are some companies that every year almost, it seems like they're coming up with a new thing, you know, to keep up mm-hmm. with the, I don't know. It almost seems like they're kind of keeping up with the, um, you know, I don't know what it is like the Joneses or whatever, but, but there's, <laughs> you know, but there's also some companies that only produce maybe every five years or they only do it when they feel like they really have to. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah. Do you guys feel like you have to produce something new all the time? No. Um, and we get customers that, um, you know, year in and year out will, um, will come back to Sawyer for, um, you know, what we do have. So, uh, we, we just have, we have a legacy that's, that's been in the making for a long time and, and we have uh, f- folks that trust our products. Um, yeah. we don't necessarily have to innovate every single year, but we're always looking at the trends, you know, in mm-hmm. 2020, um, this crazy year that's just about to end, we saw a, a, a flood of new people on the water, whether they were fishing or boating, oh yeah, or uh, you know, in many ways, we we saw a lot of people on the water that that are completely new to it. So we're always thinking about you know that that person's first time on the water and making sure that that we've got a product that that meets their expectations and their needs. Um, so I mean, we've been innovating since 1967. So and we're just always on the cusp of of what's new in terms of boat sizes and materials and construction and. Because we're a small company and, and we're you know we're very adept at, at, at listening to what's happening in the in the industry, um, we can create products. Um, the Super Stick is a great example of that. So, on the stand-up paddleboard side, um, you know we worked with Paul Clark and what we call a Super Stick, and it's a it's a whitewater stand-up paddleboard paddle. You know, three years ago, we weren't talking about whitewater stand-up paddleboarding, right. but now it is at now is at the forefront of of that genre. Wow. Um, and we brought Paul Clark in, he's a hall of team pro 
And he said, hey, here's what I want. And we built it for him. So we do have the ability to do that kind of thing, which is cool. That's amazing. No, I think, and you just opened up a whole nother section of, uh, you know, I, yeah, it, it just keeps going. That's what I love about the podcast. You know what I mean? We, we talk here for, mm-hmm. for an hour and there's just like probably 10 more episodes that just came to my mind when I was, thinking, you know, <laughs> from you talking. So, all right, Jerry, hey, I'll let you get out here. It's, um, it's uh, paddles, uh, uh, paddlesandoars.com. And um, hey, just and also I want to note you guys, Sawyer is a sponsor of this podcast coming up here. And I'm excited about that because, like I said, I've been using, you know, the product for a long time and I can attribute, you know, I love having sponsors that, you know, companies I've used for a long time. So I'm excited to share that as well as, as we move into yeah. 2021 and beyond. Right on. Yeah. It, uh, thanks for the opportunity um, and uh, appreciate it. All right, Jerry. All right, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Dave. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes all the links we covered, just go to webflyswing.com slash 185. If you get a chance, it'd be great if you could share this episode. If you found a little uh, nugget of knowledge, it'd be cool if you can uh, let somebody know. Obviously, Sawyer is a pretty uh, amazing brand, but uh, sharing the word on them since they're a sponsor especially would be amazing. So I want to thank you in advance if you get a chance to share a link out. And uh, before we get out of here, I want to do a quick summary, a little recap of what we learned today, just in case uh, you're on the go and you want to stop right now and take a couple of quick notes. But uh, here we go. So uh, some top tips on choosing the right oar. Um, number one, use a stiffer oar uh, for a heavier boat. So if you're doing a lot of big, heavy trips, definitely go for maybe the stiffer, more the composite oar versus the wood. Uh, remember the two-thirds rule for choosing the length of your oars. Um, that's basically one-third in the boat from the oar lock and two-thirds outside of the boat. That's kind of where you should be landing. So maybe next time you get on the river, check it out and see where you like to hold um, your oars and if they if they fit that rule. Also in choosing, determine how tall you are uh, You know, and how high your seat will be, what kind of boat you have, because that will make a difference of the length of oars you might need. And where are you rowing? Are you on whitewater, lakes, uh, big whitewater, um, you know, Grand Canyon versus whatever, right? Um, you know, it's kind of a different deal. So that factors in how often are you rowing? You know, again, so you might want a lighter oar if you're, if you're on it daily versus if you just do it every once in a while. Maybe it's not a big deal to have a little less, exp- uh, less expensive but heavier oar. Um, and uh, also the Cobra oar locks, we noted that. A really cool orlock that um, allows you to tweak it to the right size. We'll have links to all this in the show notes as well, um, and maybe even a little PDF if I get a chance. Uh, Derek also touched on rowing tips for safety. A real big one we want to hit on whenever you get out there, make sure you know where you're going and you got the safety protocols in line. And uh, and one final one here: choose flexors based on uh, uh, boat weight. So. So basically, again, going back to that spot, if you have a real heavy oar or a really heavy boat, you might want to have a heavier uh, oar that doesn't flex quite as much so you can really get on it. Uh, so that's about it for the wrap-up. want to let you know you can call Sawyer Oars or go to your local uh, boat company, and uh, you can check in with them, and they can help you find the right uh, oar. Or you can check in with me, um, Dave at wetflyswing.com. So that's a wrap. I want to appreciate, uh, let you know, I appreciate you for hanging there with me and for your support, your support here as we approach 200 episodes. I wanted to thank you for hanging with us, uh, whether it's your first show or your 185th. Cheers to you. I want to thank you again for stopping by the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up to you soon. Hope to maybe see you online or on the river. 
Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the app of your choice. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.